You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. So I'm joined here today by Jerry. Jerry, you got to say your name, your last name for me. I've heard it so many times. Is it Reaganese? Raganese. Raganese. I don't think I've ever heard it said like that by an announcer. So Jerry Raganese, who is the co-founder of Pro Athletics and of the Faceoff Academy and a proud RIT grad, I take it. Go team, go Tigers. Okay. So have you been following along at least with how the Tigers are doing right now? Yes, sir. Two and zero. Oh. They squeaked by a very tough Cortland team. We were a little. Uh, we have a big uh, group chat with, uh, you know, several, you know, years worth of alumni, and the guys were uh, the guys were sweating a little bit. But uh, you know, good to see Coon and the boys uh, pull that one out. Yeah, I mean, not only do they play great lacrosse, but they have to have the best looking buckets in all of lacrosse at the moment. I think. Oh, they sure do. They sure do. Are those your decals that are on there by chance? Yes, sir. Yeah, we went uh, we went back and forth uh, with the entire staff. Uh, over there just trying to decide on what helmet they were going to wear this year and we said well you know after a pandemic year you got to go big or go home so with the with the, with the uh the chrome orange and uh the big chrome tiger so you know i feel like that's a that's a winning bucket hopefully they finally take it home this year coons uh coons sniffed uh the trophy once or twice but we, we got to get him uh, we got to get him over the hump hopefully the helmets help yeah i mean salisbury was preseason there was a lot of talk and then they lose to lynchburg and then lynchburg loses to Christopher Newport, which is another program on the rise. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I think all of a sudden it's anyone's game before the season started. You'd think it's, it's Salisbury's to lose. And now, you know, anybody can take it. And RIT has been so close. So I'm really, I, yeah, I, I love year, for them. Yeah. I mean, and this year it's, it's, you know, the NESCACs are kind of, you know, who knows what's going to come of them. So it's kind of going to be this like, you know, open, this open race at the end of the year. So I'm excited to see what happens. Hopefully the, uh, you know, the Tigers get some vengeance on the, on the Seagulls. That's a, that's a tough, you know, Jim Berkman's got a, got a good team down there. So we'll see how they do. They'll figure it out. They always do. Uh, Before we get too far into the D3 stuff. So you did the decals for RIT, but that's just a small thing of what pro athletics does. So how did you get involved with pro athletics? I mean, obviously it's your company. So how, how did that come to be? And then what else are you known for? I, I've seen some uniforms, obviously custom apparel, like you, you do a lot. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, sort of the company with my business partner, um, his name's Chris. He's out and he's out in California. I've refused to move out there. It's beautiful, but you know, I, I don't mind spending, you know, one or two, three weeks out there, but I can't live out there. The people are just you know, a little, a little too slow, a little bit too much Valley girl, stuff like that, you know, and the traffic, you know, you put a bullet in your head before you, before you get back on the plane out there. But, um, uh, started the business actually online, me and, uh, me and my business partner, Chris, we used to moderate something called the lacrosse forms. And, uh, he had a retail store that he was closing down and he's, and I was ordering all of my club team apparel that I would sell the extras on, on that website. Uh, and he's like, Hey, listen, I'm closing up this, um, this retail store. I'm going to start this apparel company, you know, love to bring you on, do this, this, and this, you know, feel like your designs would, would move. So we did like a trial, saw that we were moving some product. We were actually ordering uh, from a company uh, in Vegas at the time. That company shut down. We wound up bringing everything overseas and we were just importing, exporting. Then when we saw uh, with the last administration, we saw that he was probably going to win. Uh, we had to hedge our bets because we thought that they were just going to, you know, they were going to tariff everything that would, you know, that would come into the States. So we took out a, you know, we took out a loan, bought all the machines, had no idea what we were doing. 
uh, we call a crash in the car for the first year. We just made the mistakes. You know, we stuck your finger in the, uh, in the electrical socket to figure out what we were doing. And, you know, six years later, uh, you know, we're making everything stateside and, you know, we do decals and we do, um, you know, we do apparel, but our main thing is, uh, is, is team apparel for football, soccer, hockey, lacrosse. I mean, any, you name it, we do it and we do it all stateside. So you know, we're able to turn things around pretty quick. Um, but we're pushing into the custom one-off space and um, direct to uh, client drop shipping on custom pieces. So people can come in, set up a store. Uh, the store never closes. You normally have to do like a two week window then wait four weeks and then it ships out us. Our stuff ships out in five days. So we're trying to really revolutionize the whole process because we have a bigger engine than the other guys. Everybody else is ordering from, you know, some third world country, um, you know, it, with questionable working conditions and the stuff comes in and it just goes back out. You don't know who made it. Us, we're trying to, you know, bring some jobs back to the States, you know, bringing, bringing back, you know, kind of a, a lost art. There's not a lot of people that know how to do what we do. Um, you know, I, myself, I had to learn how to use a flat lock machine, how to learn how to use a single needle machine, which sucked. It's hard. It's not easy to do. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not unskilled labor. That's for sure. Um, so it's hard to find people that, that are, that are good at it. And we're fortunate that we have a, a tremendous team of people working for us that have, you know, several years of experience underneath their belts, um, at our shop. And so we're really excited to, you know, be bringing back, you know, that kind of lost art, uh, back to the States and, and put, put some more jobs back on home soil. That's really cool. And part of what you said, so we've interviewed a lot of manufacturers on here, especially in the lacrosse space. And there's another brand, I'm not going to talk about who it is, that also is trying to play in that market of one-off custom team order, no minimums and stuff like that, but they don't produce anything themselves. They go through a bunch, like a network of little guys that are all doing it, but you're able to do that all in one house, which I think obviously benefits you. A ton, I think, so. I think it benefits everybody. You know, it's kind of like playing telephone. You know, if you, if you have 15 people playing telephone, someone's going to screw it up somewhere down the line and you got to mm -hmm. go back up the chain and say, well, okay, who dropped the ball here? And especially in, in the custom industry where colors are, you know, color science and colors and your logos and everything's so specific, you don't have wiggle room. It's either, it's either it's hundred percent right or it's not, it's pass fail. So for us having full control, seeing it come out of the printers, we have five different QC points um throughout our entire process you know we're the guys making it so it's not like you get it and you see that there's a mistake then you have to call us we're going to catch it in stage two if there's an art problem if there's a cut problem that's in stage three if there's a shipping problem that's stage five we all we're like and you're, we're going to contact the customer via cell phone text message email we're, we're using technology to our advantage we're not a, we're not a huge operation you know we're not several hundred people um but we let technology do a lot of the work for us. And I think that's where we've had a lot of our success. And we're always, I mean, just today, we were looking at some new software um, that we're going to re-engineer to, to work a little bit better for our clients. And, you know, that's, that's what most of our day is, is just how do we keep this edge as sharp as humanly possible? Because everybody else, there's just such a huge gap in between them, the product, and then the end consumer. So we're trying to shorten that gap as much as possible. Okay. And so how long after you graduated RIT did this come to fruition, pro athletics? Uh, I was doing pro athletics in my, my, I did two senior years of college. I broke my shoulder. So I'm back for a fifth year. I was doing it my first year. And by my fifth year, I was just bringing in shorts and paid invoices as, as uh, senior projects. I was just saying, Hey, listen, this client paid. Here's a, here's his email saying that the stuff was great. This is an A and here's the finished product. And my professor was just like, uh, all right, man, like fair pass <laughs> on to the next one. So okay. I, I was doing that before I was even done with school. 
And so, I mean, obviously every pro lacrosse player for the most part, unless you're one of very few people have a day job that consumes 95% of their time. And then they get to play professional lacrosse. What, at what point, obviously, did you know that you could sustain your entire life with, with, you know, pro athletics face-off Academy, and then any money that you make from playing lacrosse or, or coaching lacrosse and, uh, on top of that is just gravy. I'm kind of built a little bit backwards. I said, I'm going to figure out whatever I need to do so I can play lacrosse as long okay. as possible. Um, where some guys who, you know, probably were better than me. A lot of guys were, uh, they just couldn't make it happen or didn't want to make it happen. They said, Hey, listen, I'm going to go to Montauk for the weekend. I'm not going to sit in traffic. Uh, you know, uh, Oh, I'm, a, I'm an alternate and I might play. No, nah, I'm not coming. So I, you know, I slept on floors. I slept in cars. Like it wasn't, I mean, those early years were not a glamorous life. And we used to laugh about it all the time. We say, man, in 10 years, like people are really gonna, people are really gonna look at this sport and it's going to be something. And I had no idea that I'd ever be, you know, I had hair down to here at the time, no beard. Um, you know, I was like, oh man, that'll be something. And sure enough, 10 years later, you know, the PLL comes out of the ashes and I, I was able to see, you know, I got into the league when things were kind of smoothening out and then things took, took a pretty hard nosedive. And then, I, you know, we watched this kind of dead cat bounce where, the PLLs come and come full circle. And now it's like, you know, the hottest thing ever. I mean, there's guys entering the player pool who, you know, names I haven't seen in 10 years. It's now yeah. something people are like, Oh yeah, I'm, I want in. Oh, this is a real, this is the real deal. Cause it is, I mean, yeah. everything yeah. people see, it is exactly what they're, it, there's no, there's no smoke and mirrors. You can't, you can't fake what they're doing. Yeah. I think you just brought up a really good point because unlike other sports where it's always the best players in the world are playing at any given time. Lacrosse is different in the sense that there's some probably top 10% guys that just have chosen other careers over playing lacrosse. And I think, Oh, you might disagree. I'm just saying like, there, there are really good players that that couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. They, they decided not to chase that part of the dream and, and they didn't make it a profession, but if they did, you know, that just doesn't happen in many other sports. And now we're seeing like the PLL is making that harder and harder to do, because like you said, you're seeing names come back where it's like, it's probably reignited a flame in, in quite a few guys where it's like, oh, I can do this. And like, this is like a real thing. And I don't have to maybe do some of the things you just mentioned in the MLL. And it's maybe not as hard on my lifestyle that, as it was in the past. Like I saw today, Graham Hasek is back and I'm like, man, I've kind of forgot about him for a few years. Cause I don't follow box that closely, but the dude was an insane takeaway defender in 2016. And now he's kind of back. I mean, if he gets picked up, so there's a lot of guys coming back and we, we just talked to Jack Jasinski, who obviously was an MLL guy last season. And he's like, you know what, bring it on. Like the more, the merrier, like if you're good, you'll make it. And if, if you're not, you, you won't at the end of the day. Right. So like it, it's, it's a good thing for the sport that all of these people are interested in playing. And I feel like you got something to say about what I just said in a way. Oh, no, I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think the good guys stayed because mm -hmm. teams made teams made, uh, you know, accommodations. Hey, you don't have to come to practice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think where I think what it really looked, what it really came down to was, Good guys could have longer careers, okay. you know, if, if things were a little bit easier, you know, some guys just got told by their bosses, Hey, you can't take off Thursdays. I, I need you here. You know, this is, 
you know, it's glad that you're paying for, you know, a couple grand uh, on the weekends, but you know, this is a serious firm or we're expecting this right. client. He doesn't understand why you're not answering him because you're on a plane flying to God knows where for what I don't, that's, that's where the real hook was pulled around guys legs that, that should have been playing longer. Um, you know, there are certainly a few guys who, you know, just decided that it wasn't worth their time. You know, they guys won national championships and they were like, okay, well that that's the peak. I'm going to go, you know, right. stay in ocean city, Maryland all summer and, and enjoy my life or, or go abroad. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Um, for some guys, again, like I don't, I don't want to sit here and say the MLL was all bad because it certainly wasn't. Right, gave me, right. a, gave me a, a, a career for for what it was, and you know, I, I wouldn't trade those those days for the world. I mean, I can complain about everything, you know, if if I wanted to, but you know, nobody would listen. It's like there, there was good, there was bad, and you know, I think I think the the PLL is gonna is gonna absorb the good, show the good, and, and the bad got dropped for you know for better or worse. Um, but now what you'll see, you know, now I'm hearing guys saying. I want to play pro lacrosse. I, I have high school right. kids are like, coach, I want to see you in the league. I'm like, well, <laughs> easy man. I'm 34. You know, we'll see how long I keep, keep kicking right. this can down the road. But like guys are talking about that. Nobody used to talk about that. I, I remember when I said I wanted to do it in college, guys were like, you're going to do what? Right. Right. Well, that brings me to my next question. So the, the peak of lacrosse for a very long time, and it still might be, but I feel like that grasp was slipping is Memorial day weekend division one lacrosse or D two D three is like, still kind of the pinnacle of the sport just like for tennis you know it's it's Wimbledon you know it's it's not always the Olympics it's not always the the pro game so has that kind of I mean I don't think it'll ever go away right it's it's extremely important in lacrosse but has that grip kind of slipped a little bit like do you feel the momentum pushing where the PLL is like now guys are like well I do want to win a national championship but then I also want to go play professional I think what helps is you got guys like Kark on the broadcast saying like, he's, he's a, he's a bona fide PLL draft pick when they never used to talk about that. Right. They never used to mention the pro game. They would just say, Hey, he's a Goldman Sachs prospect. Yeah. If like, he plays great, he'll play yeah, in the MLL. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a given at that point. Okay. Yeah. So now they're actually referencing the other side of this. And so, you know, everybody loves college. You know, you have, you have kids that are Hopkins fans, you have kids that are Maryland fans and that's great. But what happens when a Joel Tinney graduates? But before it was just like, okay, that guy graduated. Now there's this new stud, uh, you know, whoever. Now we get to follow Joel Tinney because they're going to talk about his season's going to continue going. Coach, he's trying to steal, he's trying to steal the food off the table. <laughs> um, uh, you got guys who are in the game. They get drafted. And they're saying, hey, you can see Joel Taney on the Atlas this summer in the PLL. And kids are like, what's the PLL? Like, whether they know or they don't. And then they Google it. And then I go, oh, my God, pro lacrosse. And it's this incredible marketing effort on the PLL side. Highlights, uh, stats, interviews. It's, it's, real, it's real deal production value that everybody wants. You, mm -hmm. you, can, you can get anybody's attention for two seconds, but you can't keep it for much longer. The PLL is keeping attention. Now we talked about this right before we, we hopped on. You're like, you know, I don't want to pay for the big 10 work, 10 network. Why? Well, because sometimes they don't even commentate. Well, guess what? There's commentating, there's slow motion replays, there's bells, there's whistles, there's fireworks. There's when you're not even looking, there's a, there's a, you know, an interview going on, on the sideline. And, and then there's this, then there's the highlights after the game and the players are posting the photos. That is, that is very scientifically done by the PLL staff to pull eyes from 
the biggest, you know, guess celebration that Final Four weekend of the sport to drag you into the summer circuit. Now, the problem with the MLL was that the games were so hard to find. It was mm-hmm. on ESPN3. It was on YouTube. It was on uh, – there was the paywall on LSN, just even the hard, like I was a player and I'm like, I can't even find these games. And like, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like watch film on, on, you know, who we're going against next week. It was hard for somebody that wanted to watch it. Never mind like a casual fan. And then like the logos are wrong and the cameras and the, and then they're like trying to do, you know, slow motion replay on a goal. And the guy comes over, he's like, Oh no, the camera wasn't on. And everyone's like, Gee, you know, you just eventually yeah. threw your hands up in the air, but now it's on the big screen it's you don't have to drag somebody to a game we don't have to go sit in traffic we don't have right. to buy tickets you buy you know the 15 dollar uh package or whatever it is i don't know that's what it was last year i don't know what it is this year my apologies it's but like five ninety nine package yeah and you sit on your couch you drink your beer you're in your air conditioning and you're watching the best players on earth with the best production value there's ever been that is the selling tactic that the PLL is doing such a good job on because everybody wants to sit down and watch the final four. People are glued to their TVs during the final four. They're just recapping that every week. And then, you know, when we can get people in the stadiums, it is a little bit of a, of a final four weekend. Cause you have, you know, four games is right. there's the fan zone. RJ's running around. The kids are losing their mind. It's a, listen, it's a, what they're doing. It may not be perfect, but it's the best that it's ever been by a wide margin. Why? wide margin yeah and it also separates itself from the nll too which is nice the nll it's like it's it's not you know it's it's kind of like a hockey game you come in for the party stay for the game type of thing the pll is pushing you know you can watch this on tv but come to the game and meet all the players and then we're doing the clinics after so it's an interesting little you know they're not competing with each other which is good it's just two very different you know it's indoor and outdoor i wouldn't want them to be the same they're different sports no, yeah absolutely Absolutely. And like you said, the MLL for a long time existed in the bubble and it was complacent. And the thing that we've all said from day one is like, just look at the coverage, look at the media, look at all that stuff. That is 100% where the MLL was dragging behind in probably the biggest way. Mm -hmm. And then you saw like this little moment where the MLL was taking a few things and being like, oh, this is a good idea. And they hired a bunch of interns and they actually had videos and, and it was good to see them kind of try but it was too little too late at that point. It was reactionary. Let's, yeah, let's call it sure. spade a spade here. It, sure. it was, yeah, it was yeah. reactionary. And, you know, it, it wasn't bad. I watched the games. I was, I was, oh, I love know, the I'm games. A yeah. big, I'm a big critic of the MLL, huge critic, but it was only because I cared so much. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to do well because rising tides raises all ships, right? A lot of my friends stayed in the, in the MLL and I had a lot of friends in the PLL. And granted, you know, my, my, my issue is always with the brass. Never the guys who were giving right. up their weekends and, and missing their friends' weddings to, to go play lacrosse for a couple hundred bucks because they love the game. There's nothing pure and more valuable than that right there. That's what makes the sport what it is. But, you know, it, the they would never have done that. Had the They would have never bought those cameras. They would have no, never no. Have gotten the They didn't the, have the, to the because they were only showing town. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and one thing that I've heard, all the stories I've heard from, from former MLL guys is that these are not new ideas. 
these are ideas that a lot of you had as players and are like, Hey, we should do this. And like, no one cared enough to just make it happen or spend the money to make it happen. Cause let's be honest, it would just take a little bit more money and it could have had a, a far superior product. But again, when there's no competition, I mean, you get what you get. So, and yeah, I think you can get yourself. Yeah. And I think we're already seeing that with the NLL who had pre PLL, the NLL had the best like model and the better, the best ownership groups. And like the whole way that they were set up was basically like hockey. And, but where they still struggled was still in the media side of things. Like it's still hard to watch an NLL game. Like you'll randomly turn on Twitter and like, there's a game on Twitter. Like, that's kind of cool. But like, I didn't know that. Or like, you'll have to get bleacher report. And it's just like, that's still what's holding them back is a solid TV deal that we can get in the States. And you're already seeing them kind of take some stuff that the PLL is doing and, you know, they, they weren't as far behind as the MLL was by any means, but they're still borrowing from the innovation, innovativeness of the PLL. And that's awesome to see, because obviously this is a two or three year old league versus however old the NLL is. And it's really cool that now they're borrowing, but they're doing it in, in a way of what's, you know, kind of community, like they're, they're working together with the PLL on a lot of things. Yeah. And, and Joe Sai being, you know, a big, right. a big driver in the NLL and also uh, very close with the, I, I don't know his exact um, involvement in the PLL. I do know he's close and in, in, in involved in a lot of things. I mean, those, yeah. those, those conversations, you know, affect both leagues. Um, so, which is tremendous, you know, you have a guy who's that, you know, I mean, the guy owns the Nets for Christ's sake. I mean, right. he's, you know, he, you know, you're you're finally dealing with like real, you know, real oh. money. It's not just, hey, this is some rich guy that owns a owns a MLL team. This guy right. is, you know, one of the wealthiest people on earth. Can move mountains with his pocketbook, and he likes lacrosse and he wants lacrosse to succeed. Okay, this guy's going to make stuff happen, you know, in the short term and the long. Um, and you know, it's just having those these these guys who can move such heavy boulders which we never had before. And they want to because for no other reason than they want the sport to progress. And Joe Sai has been a, a major proponent in that. And, you know, having a, a guy like Paul at the front of this, I mean, originally we never got photos uh, of ourselves playing and Paul negotiated a deal for us that we would get photos of ourselves playing after the game. So we could post on our social and be like, Hey, I played lacrosse this weekend. You guys should come see us. And like, that was something that we had to fight for in the MLL. And now we have um, an app, the PLL, you get you get back in your locker room, and you know the, the savages at the PLL content team. I mean, I, I'm only going to credit them once because I could go on for hours. Right. But nobody works harder than those guys. Sammy, uh, little Sammy over there, like my man runs a four two forty, running that that data <laughs> card from the floor all the way up to the media room and back down. My man is booking, and he's got that you know that big uh, <laughs> that big one uh, uh, DX that he shoots with around his neck the entire time like those guys hustle but because listen how many times have you gone back and watched a game yeah yeah nobody nobody does that yeah. unless it's like an really. incredible game like maybe one a season two a season but that, well, like, i'm looking for like, one clip yeah i'm not yeah, yeah but like you're never like sitting down like oh, i'm gonna watch the 1986 you know uh, uh yeah. colorado rockies versus the new york right nobody no, does no. that you're looking at photos and highlights and that's what they that's what they understand people want highlights they want photos, they want slow motion replays, and then like have some, have some commentators breaking it down after that's what they're doing such a great job of. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm nothing, nobody doesn't already know, but I, you know, you got to give credit to those people because they're the real, you know, that, those are the fireworks that we weren't getting before that's separating 
you know, us from where we were before. Yeah. Yeah. As a former D1 film coordinator, I know like I, I couldn't do anything close to what they do, but I understand how quickly you have to make things happen and uh, how, how much effort it really does take. And, and it's not, people see the, the end product and they're like, Oh, that's really cool. That must've been so that these guys would make it do it so easily. No, it takes so, so much work. Those There's guys so stayed up. Those involved. guys would in the bubble. Um, uh, my buddy, Josh, my buddy, Pete, you know, those guys were in the same room together. Just like, like literally like, like they were in the, the foxhole in world war one back to back, just like on the computers, like showing each other, like, what do you think about this? Like, Oh, trim that down. Like, just like, but that's all night. And then they would get up and do it all over again for three weeks. It was like, they were like, it was, wow. you were in the trenches. And, I'm sure you know, they're looking forward to a regular season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to have a break, but oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, it, it looks like, like, like we said with, with Josiah backing pretty much all of lacrosse in some way, people don't really know all the things he's in, but you know, he's, he's financially involved with inside lacrosse with the PLL, with the NLL, uh, the Hill Academy. Now I'm pretty sure he just bought them a campus essentially or invested in their campus. So he's the guy that behind the scenes has really made this, everything that's going on in lacrosse easier in a way, like it, it might, it might happen eventually, but it would not all be happening this fast without that guy. So I oh, do hope sure. to interview him one day. And I asked somebody, when's Joe buying a lacrosse company, like a manufacturer? And they're like, he'll never do it. And, and they told me why it actually, Terry Foy told me why he said, because Joe refuses to create friction in the lacrosse community. Yep, exactly. Like that's, that's the kind of the huge mm -hmm. thing about him is that he's, he's bringing lacrosse up as a whole, as opposed to, you know, picking his winners and letting, and letting the rest fail. It's, you know, the, the, going back to the Ivy thing, he was going to pay for all the Ivies to right. get tested. And, yep. and so they could have a seat. Like what, if you're, if you're going to look at this from a, from an investing standpoint, where do you expect to recoup costs there? You can't, it's, it's burnt, it's burnt cash. Yeah. So he's just doing that out of the good of his heart. So the game of lacrosse can do better. I mean, there's, yeah. Uh, anybody else would go, oh, that's, that's a fool, but it's a man who's smart because he sees 50 years down the road, what the game can be. And that's what he's, he's investing yeah. in. He's also investing I mean, in his he, kids too, because his kids yeah. play the game too. So it, it's, he, he sees the long-term play here and it's not strictly financial. Um, but again, he didn't even, uh, invest in the first round of the PLL because he didn't want to be the final nail in the coffin. Cause a guy like that gets behind your league and it's really hard for the ML to survive. But once mm -hmm. that ship was kind of sinking, he's like, all right, I'm in. Cause you need me yep. more or less. And, and again, like, and, and, you know, people, people sing Joe size praises often because he's, he's very financially successful and, and, you know, everybody likes the money guy, but he's also making a lot of smart decisions that are, that's helping the everything along. It's not just, Hey, he's got a good pocketbook. He's, he's a smart guy. He's compassionate. He knows what he's doing. And I think that's what gets by, you know, the, the, the eye test on a lot of people like, okay, there's the rich guy who pays for everything. Well, that rich guy is also making a lot of very smart decisions on the back end that you're not necessarily paying attention to or knowing, you know, what's actually going on. So, I mean, if he ever hears this, you know, thank you for everything you're doing, Joe, you're crushing it. Uh, you know, thanks, thanks, thanks for all the help. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So to piggyback off the whole PLL conversation. So even in your Twitter bio, you consider yourself the lifeguard of the PLL player pool. So what is it like to be in the PLL player pool, like from week to week, because we kind of know how it worked in the MLL. Like, like you said, you were an alternate or you're on the practice team and Hey, we need you this week. So you show up that week and then you play. What's it like in the PLL? Uh, well, the PLL, it's a little bit more, uh, 
you know, it's like, a, it's like an actual sport where, you know, uh, you'll get a call from a coach. Hey, we're going to activate you this, that, and the other in the MLL, you know, guys are getting traded pregame in the, in the locker room. Like, Hey, go over there. You're playing for those guys. Like that's happened before. Oh, um, but at least, you know, and, and, you know, for better or worse, like, Hey, listen, we've got two guys. I think you could use them. There was a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. Ticket. It wasn't yeah, just because it wasn't yeah. like, yeah, it wasn't just because they're, they're like, you know, incapable of making the right decisions. It was just, okay, well, I want this guy. You want that guy both here, save us plane ticket swap. Great. Um, in the PLL, you know, I found out that I was getting put in the player pool. I got a phone call They, were, you know, coach Nat was professional about it said, Hey, you know, we don't want to do it, but you know, we're, we have a, a cap for the bubble. I said, okay, that's fine. I understand. Uh, it's the name of the game. And, you know, then you got to shop yourself around like it's any other league and, you know, talk to coaches and, you know, I do that where I can. Um, it's interesting this year in the sense of that there's been, there's three drafts, right? There's the expansion draft, which you're not eligible for. There is the entry draft, which you're not eligible for. And then there's the college draft, which you're not eligible for if you're in the, P uh, the player pool. Now, what most guys in the player pool are running into is we're waiting to see where all the chips lie. So after the college draft, you go, okay, well, this team has a need here for this. This team has a need here for this. Let me start ping ponging around. So uh, in my younger years, I might've been, you know, a little nervous. Now I'm just, okay, I'm just waiting for, for the window. I'll make some phone calls. And if they want me, I know I still got it in me, but um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see who, uh, who wants to bring me down. We'll see what colors I'm wearing this summer, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. Been getting, um, been getting a lot of reps with, uh, with uh, Tommy Kelly of the cannons, Brennan Fowler of the cannons, uh, Connor Farrell of, of the Chrome, um, it's weird hearing uh, that my, now of the cannons. It is. It is. It, that was I was like, oh, yeah, of the chaos. No, wait, not anymore. He's been killing himself. I mean, my man, my man's been working real hard. I mean, I, I love Tommy to death. I saw a big a, improvement from year one to year two in the PLO. I mean, obviously, the rule, the rule changes from going into year one where it took a little getting used to. But I felt like year two, he really took off. Yeah, I mean, again, and, and Tommy's, you know, he was a guy who was not, I mean, he'll be the first one to tell you, he was not the biggest gym rat, you know, uh, when he first got in, he just relied on his hands. And when guys started catching up to him, he, he I mean, he's really putting the time, he's lost a ton of weight, he's moving a ton of weight. I mean, I see him working out all the time. And, uh, you know, just in getting reps, he's, he's just much stronger. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tommy, I hope he does very well this season. Um, but you know, it's, it's been interesting. You talk about the PLL rules, like there's nothing that gets you ready for that. The, the MLL rule change, or sorry, the MLL rules compared to the PLL, it's, it's, it's night and day. It's the ball being that much higher. You have to change your mechanics up so dramatically. There's so many other things you can do to, to your opponent's stick in the ball um, as opposed to having it all the way down the cup of that stick. And even in college too, I think you're, I think you're going to be surprised who has success out of the college game versus the guys who everybody thinks is going to have success. Um, you know, I'll keep that underneath, uh, I'll keep that in my back pocket. So I don't no mess up anybody's draft picks, but, um, I think it's gonna be very interesting, uh, just to see who translates well into the pro game, because I mean, it, it may only be, you know, a two and a half to three inch change, but that is such a massive, uh, change in just an athlete's mechanics of getting to the ball and what counters he's now open, open to versus not. And then even if you make the slightest mistakes, you have the fastest guys in the game five yards closer on each side. So you're cutting the field down 10 yards, mm -hmm. letting them to get that close. It's it, it. People are like, Oh yeah, it's very easy to be a good face off guy. You know, <laughs> you pop the ball out. It's like, absolutely not. If you pop the ball out anywhere to the wrong spot, you got Kevin Understein trying to take your head off. You got, right. you know, you, you got Scott Ratliff pick, pick in your pocket and run it down for a two bomb. It's, it is, 
it is there are no easy games and there's yeah. no easy lineups uh, to go against in the PLL, which is very interesting. It may have been easier before, but it was never easy. <laughs> no, it was because, certainly easier before, yeah. certainly, because at least you have a little bit of you can pick up the right. ball, throw it and then get slashed. Now you're getting, you know, you right. your head taken off for even know what day of the week it is. So I'm interested because a guy like Greg is obviously officially retired. So I, I wonder how many of those PLL coaches have called Greg to be like, hey, which guys do you think do translate well? And oh, which one, you, you know, he's getting blown up nonstop. Yeah, I bet. I nonstop. Because we talked to him a couple of weeks ago, which we won't get too big into the, the face-off academy because he did really go deep on that for us. So uh, when did you get involved with Greg and, and kind of what kind of connected you guys in the first place? Very funny. Back to that same website where I met my business partner on. Um, Greg had also been on there. And I had made like this face off thread, you know, I made it when I was a freshman in college and it was like a sticky and, you know, had a billion comments and, you know, I, we were picking each other's brain and I was just asking him like, Hey, you know, uh, I would love to come down and get some training from you when I'm home. You live in New York city. I'm New Jersey. I can drive in. Um, I'm thinking about trying to go pro. And he's like, yeah, man, absolutely. And I'm like, Oh, okay, man. Like, cool. So I drove in the city. I'm an hour late hit traffic and he's just sitting there waiting for me. He's like, cool. We talked about some technique stuff, like what the difference in the pro game versus the um, college game was. Couldn't have been nicer. And then after that, like we didn't talk for probably, no, we talked a little bit throughout the year. Just like, hey, you know, what opportunities you have? Can you throw, your, throw my name in for a coach, et cetera, et cetera. And that wound up being the year I think he was, um, Chicago wouldn't release his rights or something like that. Like he, he didn't play that season. And then the season they came back, I wound up trying out for Rochester as a walk-on and then he came back to the lizards and, um, you know, we were friends. So he's like, Hey, can you pick me up at the airport? We were just kind of, you know, you know, uh, shooting the breeze and wound up playing. We went like 50, 50 and, and, um, you know, we just started talking about training and, you know, he's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm a personal trainer. So, uh, you know, I do a little bit of face-off training on the side. And, um, over that summer I befriended Chris Mattis, uh, from Rutgers. And, you know, we were training guys in the New Jersey area, just kind of bumping into each other. And we we're like, you know, we could probably do something with this and make it a little bit more structured. Um, so me and Chris actually sat down at, at a Chipotle and we we're like, all right, let's actually do this thing. And we we're like, well, who else can we bring in? And we we're like, well, Greg's a good guy. You know, he knows what he's talking about. Let's give Greg a call, call Greg. And he's like, yeah, like I'm in. And, you know, we'll do like the six, six event tour over the summer. And then we'll like, you know, we'll leave it and then we'll come back to it every summer. It'll be fun. And then, you know, fast forward to now it's you know I, it feels like every hour of every day i could you know be talking face-offs if i really wanted to right very cool yeah it, the, the passion that i mean obviously you, you hear greg talk about it and that's why i wouldn't let him talk about face-offs very much we, we, we did the whole thing about <laughs> strength gets, and conditioning he gets, he gets going my man yeah. gets going but yeah, what he we, doesn't tell you what he doesn't tell you about is how we used to jump in pools and take showers after the events because we you know we were just trying to get in and get out and make it you know make it as cheap as possible for people to come and get trained so they we didn't have to charge you know an arm and the leg like a lot of these overnight camps were doing we were coming in you know 100 bucks we'll get you 3 hours of training and then we're out the door so you don't have to pay for a hotel and you know run into the pool nearby jumping in you know <laughs> just just you know spraying cologne on yourself because we've been sweating in florida all day then we're driving from you know boston all the way down to maryland and i'm falling asleep at the wheel and chris and greg are shaking me to wake me up you know because we're doing like a five-day thing before chris has to get back to work i got to get back to work and greg got to get back to work i mean the early years were, were it was certainly uh a wild wild west gunslinging you know face off fun run 
um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore, but it's certainly years I would never, uh, I would never change anything, uh, for, but I mean, that's the kind of passion that, you know, Chris Madison and Greg had for this. And, you know, I don't think I would have been able, I know I wouldn't have been able to do it without them, but, you know, uh, good, doing good business is easy when you have good people uh, around you. And I'm very lucky to have those two. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's clearly taken off because you guys are obviously, you know, the name in in face-off training. I mean, there's a few other smaller units out there, but people think of yeah, the face-off and, and academy. Again, again, we're big on, you know, I don't, I don't care who's teaching you as long as they're teaching the right stuff. Yeah, then, for sure. You know, all, all, all as well. We look at it from like that karate, you know, judo standpoint thing, you know, the, the one inch punch, uh, you know, if everybody's teaching it the proper way, I don't care if I have anything to do with it or not. It's just, we started the whole thing to eradicate cheating because I'm sure like Greg would have told you, he's like, you know, people just be like, oh, you're the best cheater. And that, that yeah, always irked yeah. us, you know, pretty, pretty badly. And now, he did mention geez, that exact thing. Like I just yeah. hated, I hated that so much. So yep. he, he made sure to get rid of that as much as he could. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome though. Um, so college, let's, let's shift to the college game real quick. Cause like you said, you watch a lot of college face-offs and I mean, I know you can hear it, still hear me. So yeah, I got you. Sorry. No Buddy was chewing on a cork. Uh, <laughs> so obviously, statistically speaking, I think Notre Dame, I just saw, has one of the best units. Um, there's a lot of good units this year. There's a lot of good individual players this year. And there's also a couple guys who we've seen I'll take a little bit of a step back statistically just because, you know, it takes time to change the way you do what you've done your whole life. Who are a couple of the units or individuals, if you feel comfortable talking about individuals that have kind of surprised you maybe, or maybe didn't surprise you at all. And you knew like this was going to be easy for them to, to make the switch. Um, I think the, the usual suspects are still up there, right? You got your, you know, you got your, um, you got your Notre Dame unit, you got the Denver guys. I mean, TD will do just fine at this. Th those guys are all going to do well. They're just going to do better. Mm -hmm. than they did before if you i, I actually posted uh, some stats last night i think gallagher is like 88 percent or something like that like and yeah we're know, getting ready TD's for a rule change right yeah, yeah. <laughs> td's best year he was 71 or 72 now you have three guys in the 80s six guys in the 70s and a bunch of guys in the high 60s so now you took what was you know you had these apex predators like three or four of them at the top where nobody wanted to go against them but like you know at least only a few people had to go against them then you had a couple teams that just struggled, you know, like three or four teams that are just in the twenties or they're in the low teens, whichever. And then everybody else is kind of like in the 45 to, to 60 range, you know, 55, 60 range, you know, that was the middle of the pack. Now you kind of have this stark cutoff at 45%. And then everybody else, you got either everybody is under 45% or everybody's over 60%. Um, and now you just have this bigger disparaging, you know, where, where you've made more enemies of the face off than, you had before before people were like okay it's sometimes we're good sometimes we're bad whatever now you have some guys who are just consistently bad and they hate the position you have some guys who are just absolutely crushing it. it's like oh this is the best thing in the world um like we said was going to happen in the summertime even though you know for whatever reason the rules committee thought this was gonna uh even the waters when you know it's just, the balls are south faster now you have no chance of, of chasing down these these uh, you know these these apex predators that are running around um you know, but I will say, you know, the guys who are winning, they're not winning because they're just God given talent. They trained this all summer. The amount of guys mm -hmm. I had, I mean, it was COVID. I, you know, I trained very few people in person last summer, very few. 
the amount of guys I had on Zoom, on FaceTime, just sending me videos. Tommy Burke from, from Vermont got blocked three times this summer. Just sent me nothing but video. I'm like, Tommy, Tommy, you got to give me some breathing room, buddy. And I didn't block him. I, I, I just yeah. I bust Tommy's balls because he, he's a lot, but he's the sweetest kid on earth. And I'm very happy he's having a lot of success this summer because or this year because he killed himself all summer. He was he was a perennial knee down master, you know, drilled, just drilled, 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 drilled. And then he's like, coach, what do I do? I don't know what to do. He panicked. And then I said, you know, you can complain for 48 hours and then you're getting right back to work. And almost every day of the summer, 10 videos to my phone. Coach, what, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Those guys that approach this this way are the guys that are having success right now. And it's no, it's absolutely no surprise to me that the guys who are doing well are doing well. Cause it's the guys who went, who said, okay, here's the change. I could sit and complain and sign petitions and, and listen to people who say, Oh, it's, I'm going to get hurt with no backing or understanding about this at all, which, you know, which is fine. Again, I wasn't super stoked about it, but I knew the, you know, calling the rules committee wasn't going to help anybody. Right. You know, you just, you, you take the punch in the mouth. You say, okay, you know, now I got to do what they say I got to do. And, you know, we'd been training it already. So no one ever really took it seriously when I would yell at my kids and say, Hey guys, here's two guys st doing standing neutral grip. Both of them raked and the ball just kind of squared it out. This is exactly what the NCAA wants. Um, nobody believed me. And then, you know, the, the chicken little, the sky's falling. So coach, we're on a podcast here. Can you stop eating? Oh, that's your sister's food. Don't eat that, buddy. You're fat enough. <laughs> He's got to lose five pounds. Um, but, um, you know, we knew the NCAA was eventually going to go to this. We didn't think they'd do it underneath the cover of night and during a COVID year. Um, you know, the poor parents and poor kids who were just like, you know, I can't train this thing. Now they're changing everything. The, the one consistent I had, I felt very bad for the parents this summer. And, you know, we took a lot of phone calls and walked a lot of people you know, kind of off the edge, so to speak, you know, what do we do? This is horrible. My son's having a tough time. I thought I, I, that's, that's where I really had problems with the, with the rules committee. Cause I don't think they realized how much I was going to shake up uh, our community. Um, mm -hmm. You know, standing neutral grip, I, I you know, it's, it's facing off. It's not that big of a deal, but just when you throw that kind of wrench in the gears with no, no sound. Um, yeah. It feels like a lot of the time that they, they have like a runway where it's like, Hey, this is going to be proposed in a year. And then in two years, it would go into effect. And then everybody has time to acclimate. But that clearly, I mean, that wasn't, it was like yeah, a summer. And, yeah. And it was, it was made, you know, without all the coaches voting on it and stuff like that. And, you know, we, and the, here's the thing, there's no historical data on standing neutral grip. No. There's, there's historical data on the PLL rules and they said, oh, we don't want lockups. There are very few lockups in the PLL games. Very few. I think there was like one with Trevor and, um, with Trevor and uh, Connor, that was like 15 seconds. That was the longest one all season. But now, like, if you have two guys that just want to slam top rail into each other, they can sit there and lock up for 35, 45 seconds. But in the PLL, mm -hmm. since the ball's so high, one guy turns and he's going to have enough of the ball from get-go. That was that was the biggest difference. So they really wanted to get rid of the lockups. They moved the ball up the stick uh, another inch and a half, just like the PLL. But they didn't want to, you know, credit – no, and, credit and anybody like Greg said, themselves. they didn't want to ask anybody that knew, like, like this is their career. <laughs> so maybe ask some people if you want some advice, you know, ask the experts, but it is what it is. You know, I, I will say if they didn't want as many lockups, I feel like I feel without any stats, like there are less lockups this year. I feel like wing play is more important than ever. I feel oh, like yeah. counters are more important than ever because I, you see guys win the clamp. And it seems like it almost doesn't matter sometimes if they don't know what to do afterwards, because 
they don't. A lot of guys just are just clamping and hoping that they can pull it. And if they don't, they're screwed. They, they really don't know what to do next. And like you said, people are in there fast. The, the balls are out and it's, it's clear to me who's been training what to do after winning as opposed to the guys that don't, because they look lost out there sometimes. Yeah. And, and, you know, we can move on after this because we can sit here and talk face offs <laughs> all day. I don't want to bore, I don't want to, I don't want to bore your normal listeners, but if you take your most athletic LSM and teach him one step counters, that guy could go 80% without mm-hmm. having a face without ever clamping on the ball. And that's the real big difference that I, I think is yet to be um, looked at in the SNG is that the clamping of the ball means next to nothing anymore. It's about yeah. who's countering, whose footwork, who's keeping the ball on the ground, whose wings are really kind of coming in. Cause it used to be a one man show. We used to harp, you know, it should be a three on three and, you know, but you can get away with going one-on-one now, if you're not doing a, a three, a, you know, if you're not planning as a face-off unit, you're planning for failure. So, you know, if you, but if you put a pole out there just teach them how to rake and one step counter, no one, it, man, you make I, me feel really good because I, I coached a college face-off unit. And the first day that I got there, this is like eight years ago, they had all these guys practicing, doing their drills. And I didn't see a single pole. And I was like, you know, it doesn't hurt to have one pole that can take face-offs, right? Like at least be taped up, uh, you know, we're, we'll teach them a little, we're not gonna invest a ton of time into this, mm-hmm. but like we should have one. And how many times that that was, you know, when you're on a man down face-off, it doesn't hurt to create a scrum mm-hmm. and already have that man down pull in there. So, I mean, there, there's other great reasons to do it, but especially now with the new rules, but it makes me feel really good that you just said that because it makes me feel like I was slightly out of the time on something. <laughs> All right, moving on from that. So your social media presence is 50% face-off work and I would say 50% meat. So <laughs> when did you fi- when did you catch the cooking bug? Uh, I caught the cooking bug in college. Um, it was funny. Like I went to like, you know, my, my sophomore year at my buddy's like backyard. I was like, oh, Jerry, why don't you man the grill? He's like, you know what you're doing? And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But like I man the grill and did a good job and I was like, Oh, this tastes so good. Like credible work, Jerry. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. It just felt good to like cook for people. Uh, ever since that, like that was like the spark, like a literally, you know, grilled some burgers and dogs and, and, you know, some corn on the cop wasn't anything special. Right. Um, but after that, I was like, Oh, this is cool. I like, you know, everybody likes to be told they did something good. It's like, okay, cool. But if I could feed my friends and they're telling me I'm great. Awesome. And then also I was just notoriously cheap, like most college kids. Um, you know, we would go to Fridays and, you know, Fridays appetizers were like 10 bucks. And, you know, when you're a college kid, you got two nickels to rub together. I'm like, well, I could eat these chicken strips, Jack Daniels chicken strips every day and I can get chicken, but I can't get the sauce. So I was like, well, how am I going to make this sauce? They're obviously making it. Can't be that hard. Um, so I called up on Fridays and I was like, Hey, listen, this is before like the internet had like copycat recipes. Right. Yeah. 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 And I've told this story like a million times, but it's still funny. It's funny to tell every single time I tell it. I call up the, 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 the waitress or whoever picks up the phone there. I'm like, Hey, listen, uh, had an allergic reaction. You know, I'm, I'm not, not calling any lawyers. I just need to talk to my dietitian. Could you tell me coach, come here, buddy. You know, could you tell me what you, what you guys put in, um, what you guys put in the Jack Daniels chicken strip sauce, you know? And they're like, <laughs> Oh, let me, let me talk to the chef. Um, let me talk to the chef and uh, you know, we'll see what we can do. And they give me, you know, the guy comes on, he's like, what, you know, come back from a cigarette break or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, man, it's like Jack Daniels, like three cups of sugar, some soy sauce. I'm like, okay, cool. 
and uh, just like figured it out, like, you know, mixing and matching stuff um, in my kitchen, literally like it overflowed, burnt like a bunch like sugar and, oh, yeah. and syrups, like burning that to your stove is never a good look. So, um, and after that, I just started, you know, I liked Benihana. I figured out how to make their, um, their ginger dressing. Oh, I uh, yeah. did the same thing with, um, bonefish grill bang bang shrimp it's like yes, you know that's sriracha a really mayonnaise. Good copycat, it's like, yes. that's that's all i would do in college and then um every thursday the whole team would get together and we do something called uh we called it banditos and basically he's like you had whatever food you probably had that was going to turn in your fridge you bring it over you just like just make a huge burrito or or something else going on i don't know but it was it was always a cool like team experience like big team cookout we would do it every thursday um you know before the pregame um pregame meal with our team so um yeah. Then after that, just, you know, football Sundays, I cook for all my friends. It just, you know, just kind of kept on, kept on rolling. So I have a few questions, follow-up questions for that. So please, do you dry brine your steaks overnight? I do not dry brine my steaks. Mm, I'm a okay. big, I'm a big sous vide guy. Okay. Um, I've noticed, I've noticed that recently. My mom does that well, as well. And I can't only complain. because it takes out, it takes out all the thinking of, of, making a steak properly it's just you set it set the temperature leave it in there go do what you want and then it's ready by uh ready by dinner um do i do not like cooking oh yeah yeah big sear okay. at the end on cast right. iron uh, uh basting some butter and some uh some herbs um let it rest and then you're good to go i'm terrified of doing a steak on the grill um i'm still getting <laughs> the whole you know you know it was a yeah, cook yeah. by feel type of thing um but yeah, I normally, if it's, if it's red meat, it normally, or most meat period, it normally goes in the sous vide for me, but only because I don't have a, a grill at my condo. When I get, when I get out of here, I'll have a Traeger and I'll, I'll have some fun with that. Okay. There you go. All right. And then, uh, what was my other question about that? That's another meat related question. So what it, it you kind of answered it already. So is sous vide your favorite way to, to cook meat at the moment then? Cause I've seen you do what, like 12 eggs and six and a whole a pound or two pounds of ground beef. I'll do that. <laughs> I should say it's my favorite. favorite you take way all the thinking things, out of but... cooking when you do that. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all done to be just to be as caveman as possible. Um, but I mean, again, I think the sous vide just you know you really can't screw it up. You know, cooking is more of an art than a science. Baking is a science. Um, so like you know, if I know if I know the main the main dish that steak is going to be, you know. I, it'll be done. It'll be perfectly cooked. All I got to do is sear it. I can work on the sides or, you know, whatever I'm, whoever I'm uh, cooking for that night. You know, if I'm going to do like a mac and cheese or something like that, I can really invest my time in the mac and cheese, not worry about, Hey, is the steak going on at the right time? Right. It's going to be rested properly because nobody wants a, you know, a, a cold steak. It just, it ruins it. So, you know, put the There's appetizer a fine line on the between table. resting a steak and having it be cold. That's exactly. Sure. And that's, that's been the hard thing for me to juggle, you know, as I cook for, you know, if I have five or six friends over when they first could come over and be like, all right, well, here's the appetizers. And 15 minutes later, everyone's like, okay, like, where's the uh, main course? <laughs> like, you know, my, my girlfriend's just like, oh, man, you really ruined dinner. I'm like, oh, I got to figure out that timing issue. <laughs> so, so what is the, uh, if you could, I mean, you, you've been a, a new cook recent, somewhat recently. So what is like a good piece of advice you have for, for a young cook? Cause mine would be to temper your meats because I can't tell you how, different that that was how much that changed the game when you don't have that ice cold center and yep, you just let your meat one. sit out for 20 minutes so so what's another one that you can give to the to the young cooks uh i think the one that gets gets most overlooked is getting a good pan and making sure whatever knife you have is sharp 
Uh, the amount of people who are like, I can't cut tomatoes, I can't cut onions, or I cut myself, now I'm scared. Because listen, the, the most dangerous thing in the in in the kitchen is a dull knife. So it doesn't matter if it's a thousand dollar knife or a two dollar knife, you make it sharpen the thing. Um, well, you have quite you know, the collection of knives from at least from what I've seen on social media. Like, I think you posted one the other day where somebody was just like, yeah, today, an hour ago, someone just says, look at that knife. So <laughs> why do your knives look like samurai swords? Where do you get these things? Uh, the one samurai sword knife I have is from a guy named um, uh, uh, Oatly Knives. He's in Australia. Um, a very, very, very sought after knife maker. Um and I just got lucky to catch one of his like newsletters and, and got one of his knives. It's more art than it is um, a utensil, but um, that one I use for brisket and tuna and cutting sushi. And, and you know, that, that thing only comes out on special occasions because it's so long, you don't want to saw back and forth. You want to make one right. slice yeah. through whatever you're cutting. Um, and then I have all my other, you know, uh, normal kitchen knives. I got my, you know, um, you know, stuff that's far less expensive. They're still custom made, but you know, of reasonable pricing, um, you know, of, of Damascus steels and, you know, the list goes on. I could, I could bore everybody, but, um, <laughs> that just came with, that just came with something, needing something on the wall. I don't have art, you know, I'm not, so you know, naturally, I don't, you know, I, I don't do, I, I don't do jewelry. Um, right. you know, I save a bunch of money on hair products. Um, so I figured I would invest in something I could, you know, eventually pass down to my kids, which would be this, this cutlery collection, it's something I'm very proud of. I think it's, you know, I like to geek it's out really on things. Cool. Um, it's, it's definitely really cool. It's definitely a conversation piece and not many people have a samurai knife. Yeah. <laughs> but again, those knives are, if they're not sharp or are no right, better yeah, than, worthless. you know, than the $2 knife you get at, you know, Walmart or whatever. So yeah, make sure you get one good pants and you know, make sure your knives are sharp and, and everything else you'll be able to, to figure out in the, in the meantime. And again, uh, don't overspend on ingredients. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's hundred percent. And you can always save a little bit of money buying in bulk, you know, Costco, Costco, some Costco. Great that's steak a jump deals. Yep. Mm -hmm. 100 Aldi and, and Costco. That's where you can get really good ingredient deals, but sounds good, man. Well, I'll let you go and watch some more basketball or eat some more meat because i know your dogs i'll, I'll keep eating no, i don't watch i don't watch nothing <laughs> i'm boring face, face offs that's about it sounds good man all right appreciate Excellent. it hey thank you so much have a great evening you too bye-bye if you enjoyed the show be sure to subscribe give us a review and follow us on twitter and instagram at going offsides sides